You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, as usual, my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hi Kyla, how are you doing? I'm okay. It took me three takes to record that introduction when normally it takes me none. Yeah, well, as soon as I started speaking, the sound was so loud that uh, I had to crank it down. So it could should probably be four takes, but anyway, we'll sort of figure it out as we go along. Maybe we start again. I don't know. What do you want? No, please God, no, because okay. my brain is slowly melting <clears throat> out my ears. And the issue here, folks, is that I'm in the uh, I'm in the studio and Kyla is uh, at home, and so we're using on the phone in system and uh, probably oh, I'm not at home. Oh, you're not. Oh, you're in the office. So the, no, I'm uh, in the office. Yeah. I had a pro bono legal clinic this evening. I had a board meeting this evening. I had a bunch of work to do because I've got a trial next week. So um, I live here now. So poor Wrigley's at home alone. Yeah. Waiting for you to come home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the sad life of Wrigley, but he uh, many good things happened to him too. So, uh, what shall we discuss today? Or do you want to well, jump into some of the things that I was thinking about discussing? I'd like you to, you know, be be more host than co-host today. Oh, because you're tired and you're working hard? Because my brain hurts. Yeah, my brain hurts too. I've been actually profoundly depressed and I haven't eaten them since I had my colonoscopy. So that's the way it goes. Um, but there was a number of things that arose from our discussion last week. And I got some feedback from people and it started to get me thinking. And one of them uh, was... You and I very often refer to the electronic device um, legislation, both the Motor Vehicle Act aspect of it and the uh, use of electronic device while driving regulation here in BC, and we mock it, um, and uh, we are, I don't know, maybe cynical about it um, and not very... um, not very supportive even necessarily of the the government's goal here, but... um, there's problems with it and we make fun of it and we've never explained even any of the reasons why. And, uh, Brandon Moscow, uh, Moscow, who is a uh, lawyer in our office was telling me one of the things that concerns him. And that is in the motor vehicle act regulations under handheld audio player. So you can have a handheld audio player in your vehicle. It has to be properly mounted and fixed. And then it says under section 10, a person may use a handheld audio player while driving or operating a motor vehicle on a highway if the device is not held in the person's hand and is securely fixed in the motor vehicle or worn securely and the sound is emitting through the speakers of the sound system of the motor vehicle. Now, doesn't say anything about one touch operation doesn't say anything limiting the touching of the operation. Yet most police officers take the view that if you're leaning over and your phone is fixed on your dash and mounted and playing through your vehicle, that when you touch it to change songs or whatever, that you are operating an electronic device. Yeah. And I think what has happened there, as I read it, you know, I, I, I get phone calls from people fairly regularly, people in this circumstance where they have a ticket because they were using their 
their uh, iPod features playing their music on their iPhone or what have you. Uh, mm-hmm. And the police officer's given them the ticket. And each time it ends up going like this. Okay, well, was it connected to your car? Yeah. And it was playing through the speakers? Yeah. And was it firmly mounted? Well, no, it was on my seat and I picked it up. But then there's the other people who have it firmly mounted and the police officer sees them scrolling, 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 and then he issues them the ticket. Um, I can tell you I've never had that end up running to trial because I've mentioned it to police officers in the past and uh, Brandon has had the same circumstance. I think what happens is police officers, uh, and you know, I don't know what the intention of the legislation was, but they import the single touch aspect of, um, of uh, uh, using your phone. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? I mean, it's hard to say. I, I, um, I see what you and Brandon say as far as, like, looking at the legislation and, and the fact that it says a person may use an electronic device in, in those circumstances as a, as a handheld audio player. I think there would be perhaps two distinctions. The first is, if you're like most people, and remember that this legislation was written in 2009 and put into force and effect in 2010, and we're now, you know, more than a decade later, most people don't have a separate handheld audio player from their phone, whereas back in, like, 2009, people still used an iPod. (laughs) I had an iPod. So you think the distinction is the using the the fact that it's a phone. The handheld audio player. And I think if you're using your phone, it's still a a handheld cellular telephone or another handheld electronic device that includes the uh, telephone function. And thus the phone restrictions still apply to it. So you would have to have a separate iPod and then I think you could get away with that argument. Okay, so what if you have a cell phone that has no, um, no, no card in it to activate it? Um, and uh, the wireless is turned off. Now we're getting into the point of a police officer having to determine the functions of the phone. Nope, At that point, it's still an iPad. Tanho- no, we know from Tannhauser that it doesn't matter whether it's not capable of doing it at that point in time. It's whether it is futurely capable of doing it, right? Tannhauser was the cell phone that was dead. <clears throat> exactly. So it, it still included those functions. It, they just weren't operable at that point in time. Um, if you had a phone that didn't have a SIM card, it still includes actually telephone functions because even without a SIM card, you can make emergency calls. That is true. But you're and permitted to make emergency calls under the legislation and hold it as in handheld in hand in your hand as you're doing it. And without a SIM card, you can connect <clears throat> to Wi-Fi and you can receive electronic mail um, or other text-based messages. So that's your argument. Okay, I still think that if you're using it as a music player that I and you're scrolling through and using it at, fixed as a music player, I think you've got a good defense there. But you say no, I say uh, yes, and uh, again, it's one of those things in the electronic device regulation that is not really easy to reconcile. Another one, one that I'm often looking at and wondering when somebody's going to run this argument. I won't run this argument. When somebody will run this argument. So hands-free use of electronic device. This is section 7 of the use of electronic uh, device regulation. A person may use an electronic device in hands-free telephone function while driving or operating a motor vehicle on a highway if the device is installed in accordance with section 4, so it's properly fixed. Uh-huh. is voice activated 
or requires only one touch in order to initiate and accept a call. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it deals with an earpiece. Well, that is requires only. It doesn't say that you must only use it for one touch. It doesn't say that it's, it's one touch is all that should be necessary for it. It's just an issue of whether or not it has that capacity, voice activated or required. Well, my phone can be voice activated. My phone can be activated with one touch. Mm-hmm. But that's not required for me to operate it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a, something that, that it can do, but it doesn't mean that that's what I'm going to do at the time that it's fixed there. Okay. So here's where I think, and I see... I'm, I'm not saying argument. I've run this argument. I'm just saying I think no. it's an argument. So uh, I think we take a step back here and recognize that when courts are interpreting legislation, they don't just look at the plain words of the legislation siloed away from the rest of the relevant sections or the object, purpose, and scheme of the Act. Rather, when interpreting legislation, courts look at three things. They look at the text of the Act. What do the words mean in their ordinary meaning in plain English? They also look at the context, the the like situation in which those words find themselves in the legislation. So here you have this context being a regulation that further defines use, but also provides some exceptions beyond what is set out in the Motor Vehicle Act itself. And I would say that that context in which those words are situated is meant to provide a permissive exception to the definition of use, which is in the Motor Vehicle Act itself, saying that um, use includes operating one or more of the functions of the phone um, or holding the device in a position in which it may be used, so the touching or the, the actual interaction, the physical interaction with the phone, both of which, you know, from a contextual analysis, would make it something that uh, would be impermissible. And finally, the purpose of the act. One of the things that the court always has to consider is what is the object of the act? What is the intention of this legislation? The Motor Vehicle Act, its purpose overarchingly has always been uh, determined to be one aimed at public safety. It's aimed at protection of the public by regulating the behavior of drivers on the roadway, because otherwise you're driving a one-ton death machine with no rules. Miss Lee, I'm going to interrupt you here, and uh, I understand you're doing your best to make your submissions, but I want you to skip ahead because everybody's read this part of the argument. (laughs) Everybody's read what part of the argument? Skip ahead. This is my podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm cutting you off because you're going too long on this point. I get it. You're saying it's a public safety issue, and that is the purpose of the legislation, and that is why you must read it in such a way as to make people be convicted, and I disagree. I think that you should be reading it in such a way as to uh, as to uh, give the recognize the greatest liberty of people and in this case it's saying that you should have a device that has those capacities it doesn't mean you have to use those capacities all the time you just it's have to it. you just have to have a device that has those capacities it's not reading it in a way that suggests uh, that somebody may be convicted it's reading it in a way that suggests that the actions taken by um, uh, taken by the uh, evidence, uh, or the, the actions taken by the legislature are designed to protect public safety. And what is more dangerous to public safety? Somebody who does one touch to end, accept, or uh, decline a call, or somebody who's, you know, staring at their phone while they're dialing a number that they've written on a post in their hand 
um, while they're barreling down the highway. Okay, well, let's I talk. Mean, your let's, interpretation <clears throat> of the legislation says that that's just fine. Well, I didn't have barreling down the highway in my interpretation of legislation, so I think you're, you know, putting words in my mouth. But because um, you'd still be then driving without due care and attention. Uh, but if you're going to take that view, let's let's step back and do something else. Okay, what is the front of your vehicle? What's on the front of your vehicle? It's on the front of my vehicle. Yeah, the bumper. Um, oh, oh, it's like there's like a, a like a logo. Yeah, but at the front of the vehicle is your bumper, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you're standing at the front of your vehicle, you can see your bumper. Is that correct? Um. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and if you're standing and if you're standing outside of your vehicle, you can see the side of your vehicle. Is that right? Depending which side I'm standing on and which way I'm facing, yeah. If you're standing on the side of your vehicle, facing your vehicle, you can see the side of your vehicle. And if you're in your vehicle and you're looking in your mirror, you can see the side of your vehicle. Is that right? Which mirror? You're out of your driver's side uh, door mirror. You can see that sort of side of your vehicle. Is that right? Well, no. Not no, the way I have my no. mirror set. No, okay. All right. Well, you have your set so you can see out, way out away from your vehicle, but I have it so I can catch a little bit of the edge of my vehicle so I know what I'm looking at. Well, in the installation of electronic devices, it says that the device that you mount in your vehicle must not obstruct the driver's view of the front or sides of the motor vehicle. Looking at the motor vehicle, not looking out the motor vehicle, it not uh, in front of or to the side of, it is actually says that it you must not obstruct the view of the front of the vehicle or side of the motor vehicle. What section are you? This is section, installation of electronic devices, subject to subsections, so-and-so. An electronic device listed in subsection 2 must be installed so that it is securely fixed to the motor vehicle and in a manner that does not obstruct the driver's view of the front or sides of the motor vehicle. So what it should be doing is viewing, obstructing, they should be prohibiting obstruction obstruction of a view of the road, of potential passengers outside of the window, but should it obstruct, should you be concerned if it obstructs your view of the hood or the front of the vehicle? No. Okay. So here again, you're committing a fatal error in statutory interpretation. You are taking a provision and only reading half of it. And in statutory interpretation, this is a great aspect for now we're using driving law to teach people about the rules of interpreting a statute. Every single word of the statute is presumed to have meaning, and the place where those words occur is presumed to be intentionally put there. You are only reading half of that section. It actually says, in a manner that does not obstruct the driver's view of the front or sides of the motor vehicle, or interfere with the safety or operating equipment of the motor vehicle. So the safety of the motor vehicle includes not obstructing your view of the roadway and pedestrians and all of those other things. No, what they're saying there is that you can't have it so it obstructs the horn or the signal lights or the brake pedal. So you're just because there's more there or interfering with the safety or operating equipment of the motor vehicle. So is it safe? Is it still safe if you've got it so you can't see your front bumper? Um, you know, I, I say so. Uh, but again... It doesn't say the front bumper. Again, the front driver's view the of the front or sides of the motor vehicle, not of the roadway or... Uh, so anyway, I, I, 
I, again, accept your interpretation. My point is that we are going through things and looking at uh, things that are problems in it. Let's take a look at global positioning system. So GPS, <clears throat> a person may use a global positioning system while driving or operating a motor vehicle on a highway if the system is programmed before the person begins to drive or operate the motor vehicle or can be programmed in a voice-activated manner. So if you have a device that can be programmed in a voice-activated manner, it doesn't say that that's the only way you can use it. It can. Mine is capable of being programmed in a voice-activated manner, but it doesn't say you can only use it that way. It can be or is programmed before you start to drive. doesn't mean you're not changing the program as you drive. doesn't seem to prohibit those things, so long as it's securely fixed uh, and doesn't block the view of the front of the sides of the motor vehicle. It appears that if you program it beforehand, and then change your mind or wish to mess with it when you're driving, that that's okay. Or, if it's capable of being programmed in a voice-activated manner, it doesn't mean that you have to use it that way while you're driving. I think that you will find that if you advance that argument in traffic court, you will lose. And the second thing I think that you will find is that the court will say, it's completely unreasonable to interpret the legislation in this way because in the same way that they interpreted it in Tannhauser about the phone that wasn't able to um, be used because the battery was dead, um, it creates an evidentiary hurdle that is impossible for the police. They would have to prove in every case without gathering evidence of the make, model, and functioning of every single type of electronic device known to man, um, they would have to have evidence sufficient to establish that the device was not capable of doing those things. There's no reverse onus crafted in the legislation, even though one should be crafted there, given the way that it's uh, being interpreted by you. Aha, uh -huh. by me, by me hypothetically. No, yes. Not in the real world. Again, these are not arguments you, I've ever had to you, run, nor would I really want, want to. to. Do you want to give the government a reason to write a reverse onus provision? No, I don't. Into the, no, yeah. I don't. No, I don't. I don't. So let's get back to use now. Of course, we are. Uh, that was a significant issue dealt with in Blue last week, and uh, there's definitions of use uh, in the in the legislation um, in the Motor Vehicle Act when it comes time to. Uh, cover that further in the regulations, it expands on it only for one thing. It says a person who watches the screen of an electronic device uses the device for the purposes of paragraph D of the definition of use in, in 214.1 of the Act. But of course, there are permissible uses, right? Using your device in uh, it, when, you're, when you're using one touch phone properly mounted using your handheld audio player if it is, um, if it is mounted uh, in the device and run, playing through the speakers, mounted properly, using your GPS so long as it's programmed or can be programmed. All of those things are exceptions to use, including using all of those things. Now, that seems to suggest that the exceptions to use could include all of those things for watching something, so long as you're not watching television. No, because um, a person who watches the screen of a motor vehicle act violates the law. Okay, but hang on. Let's get to the use then. 
a person may use an electronic device in a hands-free telephone function. All right. A person may use a device, um, a global positioning system device. A person may use a handheld audio player while driving or operating a motor vehicle. Now, some handheld audio players might, you know, that's like watching YouTube. That's a handheld audio player. That is an exception to the use. You may use it um, in these circumstances. And of course, it's not a television. So there is a uh, specific provision with respect to televisions that they, you can have a TV in your car in the back, but who has a TV anymore? That's kind of out of date. But you may use... You can't watch YouTube videos while you're doing it. What's that? You cannot watch YouTube videos while you're driving. Well, show me, show me why you can't. If it's a, it's a handheld audio player that's fixed, that's it's an exception... It's a audio and video player, but it also plays audio. It's fixed. Um, you are using it because it is an exception to the use regulation. Nope. It is an exception to the use. Um, and um, and uh, I'm sure, I know you're going to disagree with me. I'm just telling you. Um, it's an exception to use further defined even. So I think that there's an argument to be made. Again, I don't want to be the one who makes these arguments. I'm just, uh, people talk about problems with the legislation and I wanted to, because uh, I get phone calls for all of these things. And as you know, during the course of those phone calls, I explain it as you do just now. But You know, Paul, I feel like when these calls start coming into our, to our office, from people who listened to this podcast today and say, hey, wait a minute, this is, this is similar to what I was doing. I was watching a YouTube video, and Paul says it's okay for me to watch the YouTube video. You're going to have to go and run those arguments. I'm not it. saying that it's okay to watch it. I would never do that uh, because the, uh, I'm just saying that these are arguments that people make, and what happens every time those people call me, I always find out that they were holding it in their hand. So in the course of the discussion, I wouldn't do any of those things because I think they're all driving without due care and attention. Uh, but I think that those are potential issues with respect to it. And a fact circumstance may arise uh, in, a, uh, in a case that could expose any one of those issues to be a, a problem. Well, I, you know what, I will not be the lawyer that tests the bounds of those arguments. No. Okay. All right. All right, go ahead, that's fine. Mock Paul Doroshenko, I'm accustomed to it. I wasn't suggesting that you would run them. I also suggested that I wouldn't, but uh, it is a problem, and people keep pointing them out to me, so there they are. Well, what I will tell you <clears throat> is that I will continue my quest to try and make the government amend the distracted driving legislation to keep in step with the way that our electronic devices are used in our lives now compared to how they were used in 2009 when the legislation was drafted. Well, I also think that they could probably come up with a, uh, a, a even broader provision. Um, but hand, holding it in your hand is the number one issue. You know, I still, it's the number one thing I see people doing it. Just sitting there and sending a text message at an intersection. Uh, and I think that's probably yeah. what they need to do is just you can never, ever, ever have it in your hand. 
Well, I, and I think in the in the <clears throat> distracted driving laws rewritten as I would envision them to make them make perfect sense to people, that's what I said, basically. Yeah. You can never, ever, ever have it in your head. There you go. You, yeah. you can only touch it in these circumstances. So the other thing that came up uh, out of our podcast last week was people asking me, why would the police ever have to provide any background about the device they used? Why would they have to explain that it had a function? Why would they have to go into that? Um, and uh, I don't know if you want to go into that. I was thinking about reasons for it. Go ahead. Well, I was thinking about one of the more interesting things that we have in our life as um, as driving lawyers, and one of them is what's known as the measurand. And measurand is a uh, term of art. It generally means the thing being measured. And we deal with that in a couple of different uh, scenarios. We deal with it in uh, drinking driving cases and we deal with it in speeding cases. So for example, in a drinking driving case, <clears throat> the measure and the thing that you are intend to measure is the blood alcohol of the individual. But that's not what you actually measure, right? What you're measuring is not the blood, you're measuring breath. And it's breath that's expelled. Uh, but are you actually measuring the breath? No, you're not measuring the breath. What are you measuring? You're measuring the oxidation of a substance on a fuel cell. And then there's software that, that uh, interprets it and gives you an estimation of a person's blood alcohol concentration. So we never measure somebody's blood alcohol concentration when we're testing them with a roadside breath tester, when we're testing them in a detachment, we're never, ever, ever measuring blood alcohol concentration. We're only... When you're using... Go ahead. When you're using laser and radar, it's the same thing. You're not actually measuring speed. You're, you're measuring the amount of time it takes an, an output from the laser radar device to either return to the device or to reach a destination. Well, yeah. I mean, with a laser, you're measuring um, distance over time, but are you actually even measuring that? You're sending out a pulse light, right? And there's a, 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 light, uh, a light going out, and then there's a light being detected, and that's ranging, and then you're using a clock an internal clock. So you've got a broadcast light, you've got a received light, you've got an internal clock, and you're measuring distance over time, presuming, of course, that your broadcast, your source light is is functioning, and that your rece receiver is functioning, and that your clock is functioning. Yeah. And that you're actually measuring the thing that you're, that you're actually getting the light on the thing that, that you're broadcasting it to, and that it's actually receiving it, that same light back. So what is the measure and when it comes to, to speeding? What you're supposed to be measuring is speed, but you're not. You're not measuring speed. Um, when it comes to radar devices, same thing. Are you measuring speed? No, you're not measuring speed. You're broadcasting radio waves. The radio waves are, are transmitted because there's a transmitter. There's, they're received into the receiver. Um, and then you're looking for a wavelength change to determine Doppler effect. So the issue is, I mean, if it's coming at you, uh, the frequency will increase. And if it's, if it's traveling away from you, the in, uh, frequency will decrease. And then you're measuring the distance in the wavelengths. So you're not ever measuring the speed of the vehicle. The speed of the vehicle is the measure end. The speed of the, or the, the 
blood alcohol concentration is, is the measure end. But you are never, ever measuring those things. You're only measuring something else. When it comes to radar, you're measuring the Doppler change. Uh, and you're hoping that, you know, the software is interpreting it correctly, that the frequency is, is being broadcast correctly, that the frequency is being received correctly. So why do we have the question about, um, you know, whether or not this device is functioning properly? Uh, why do we have the questions about whether or not the officer is operating it properly and whether or not it can, it can accurately, again, they say measure the speed, but it's never measuring the speed. It's measuring something else and interpreting it in a manner to come up with the speed. Why do we ask those questions? Because it's important, because we're actually not measuring the speed. We're measuring something else and we're coming up with an extrapolation that leads to the conclusion that this is a speed issue. So there you go. That was the answer to my question. So there's two things I want to answer today for people. One was there are problems with the regulations. There's ways that it can be viewed differently and you could see where things could be slotted in uh, as different defenses uh, as a result of the fact that there is, you know, a valiant attempt to write legislation, but also problems with it. Uh, and when it comes to why the police officers are required to testify that at least they're uh, using their device correctly and that it can do the things that it's supposed to be doing and, and that they've done the pre-tests and post-tests and so forth, uh, because again, we are extrapolating uh, to make a determination because we're never actually measuring the measure end. We're not measuring the measure end with breath testers. We're not measuring the measure end with speed uh, testers with either laser, LIDAR, or radar. And those are two different things, not three different things. Laser is LIDAR. You're not measuring um, even <clears throat> necessarily in, in blood tests or in saliva tests or in urine tests. Again, what we assume that we're measuring is something different from what we're other, uh, measuring. And, and people just assume that we are actually, when you draw blood, uh, people are assuming that, oh, yeah, you're just, you know, getting your measuring tape out there the and looking how much. So people say, oh, you know, a blood test is way more accurate. You go, always request a blood test because it's more accurate. First of all, you can't request a blood test. Second of all, it's not more accurate. When they do a blood test, they're not measuring alcohol in your blood. They're not like separating your blood into its constituent parts and going, oh, look, here's the amount of alcohol. I'm going to measure that on a scale and, and that's how much alcohol and then extrapolate it for the you know whole body. They're measuring time. They're, they put your blood in a machine and then they break it up into the different parts. And how long it takes those parts to come out the other side of the machine. I mean, this is like gross oversimplification. It goes through like a, a coil. And Anyway, um, how long it takes it to come out the other side determines what it is. So it's the amount of time that it, the term is eludes um, that they're measuring. And then they say, oh, well, that illusion time is consistent with alcohol. So that's how we know how much alcohol is there. Again, it's back to, in that case, a clock. And so many of the devices are getting back to a clock. Yeah. <laughs> so All you uh, need is a, clock. a laser, a laser device, a radar device are basically sort of a clock. Um, the, uh, and, uh, when you're doing blood in, uh, uh, chromatography, you are also basically looking, measuring time until something comes out, uh, at the other end. So it's a lot of measuring and you're again, never measuring the thing that they claim they're measuring. So it makes it sort of fascinating for us as lawyers uh, and where the sort of connection between our drinking driving uh, defense practice and our speeding defense practice come, 
sort of comes together. Yeah. Speaking of coming together, this podcast always comes together, Paul, with one thing. Which is? The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. So, uh, yeah, who's the Ridiculous Driver of the Week and what did they do this week? This is a 76-year-old Ontario man who used an unusual tactic, I can only assume, to avoid a roadblock. Um, he was caught driving down Highway 401 near Belleville, um, and he was traveling in the opposite direction than he should have been. And this is one of those highways. The 401, like, on the 401. Massive highway, separated by like a big strip of of grass. So you would, it's not like you would like accidentally turn into the wrong lane. You would know you're on the wrong side of the road. Um, and uh, it, it's caught on camera too. You can watch it um, if you Google this. It's a pretty insane video. Um, there's numerous people calling him in. He's speeding on top of everything else. And uh, ultimately, uh, the police had to set up a roadblock to get him to stop. How old was he again? 76. You know, you do something like that, you're facing probably never getting back behind the wheel again. What I really want to say about this, Paul, is 76-year-old driver went the wrong way, down the 401, past the limit. You're Sorry. making a song out of it. It's 76 trombones. Right? Well, I have to tell you, okay, I, I, I know of the song, but that's, I know of it, and that's it. Um, that is, uh, that could have been a real tragedy. I mean, there's, there's ridiculous drivers where it's funny because it's just so stupid, but that could have killed people. Oh yeah. 150 kilometers an hour. I'm assuming. head on collision. I'm assuming there's some provision in Ontario where they can immediately revoke somebody's license for something like that without having to go through the whole long process. So Ontario has stunt driving provisions, which we used to have in BC, but then they got repealed. Um, and it allows, and now we have like a different scheme that does it all administratively in a weird way, um, that I hate. Um, but they have a stunt driving provision where if you're charged with stunt driving, um, then you end up with an automatic, uh, seven day license suspension. So seven days, he's off the road for seven days, but they probably have a provision where they can write in and extend it or something like that. Oh, I'm sure. Or maybe he, you know, he's also got a court date, so he might have like a provincial bail condition not to drive. Yeah. You know, we don't see it very often in BC. I have seen it more in other provinces where police release people on bail conditions not to drive. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, this might be one of those cases where it would be appropriate. VVD was doing that as a pattern for a short period of time. Everybody charged with dangerous driving was being released on conditions not to drive until somebody alerted them to the fact that the Supreme Court of Canada ruled back in 2017, I think, 2016, 2017, that if you're on a bail condition not to drive, that time gets subtracted from your mandatory minimum driving prohibition under the criminal code. So it's basically like treated the same way as time served. Aha. That's, I didn't know that. That's great. Uh-huh. Somebody was yeah. smart, work that one out. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you could give them a curfew, uh, not to be behind the, the uh, wheel of a motor vehicle between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. or something like that. You're going to get into really complicated, like, 
issues if they breach that um, because of enforceability and and um, mm. you know, knowledge and an undertaking given to an officer in charge. So how much did they understand? And, yeah, I think it's uh, it would be fairly clear the intention of the undertaking was to uh, make sure that the person wasn't driving a motor vehicle between that period. And you have to look at the whole undertaking, the undertaking as a whole, to come up with the intention of the uh, of the undertaking writer no. to be able to make that determination. No. And actually, the Supreme Court of Canada is going to get into some issues on mens rea. Um, in breach cases uh, when they render a decision on, on a case involving that later this year. So. All right. Well, we can discuss that then. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our podcast. Uh, if you have any driving law-related questions or any commentary or feedback about this episode, feel free to reach out on social media or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Kyla, glad you stuck with me and didn't fall asleep. Thanks a lot. Nice to speak with you.